I'm, I'm trying to create wealth, life-changing generational wealth over the course of 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Not and today. If that's my goal, yep. then am I really going to be a successful trader for 30 years, like day trading for 30 years <laughs> and be able to beat the market on every trade? Like that's, that's a ridiculous thing. But what I can do is identify mm -hmm. companies that have enormous long-term potential, yep. that have the the traject the earning trajectory to really make those stocks roar, mm -hmm. buy those companies, and then just sit back and wait. Sit back and be patient. Welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, educator and lifelong learner, and I am joined here in studio with, for the first time with Investor Place senior analyst, Luke Lango. If you're joining us for the first time, Hypergrowth Investing is a weekly podcast that picks Luke's brain of the hypergrowth investments, trends, and innovations. Electric vehicles, cryptocurrency, the metaverse, nothing is off limits in this innovative podcast. We go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcasts. So make sure to subscribe to get Hypergrowth Investing as soon as it goes up. Luke, it's great to be here today. Uh, I know we don't really get a chance all that often to right. be together face to face, so this is a pretty exciting hyper growth investing first. Yeah, so you want to tell the folks why we're why we're together? Actually, I, I was hoping that you could tell us why why are we here <laughs> in the studio and why are we together? Um, yeah, so a uh, big part of our our job is uh, putting together uh, video presentations for folks to learn about cool new investing ideas, investment themes, cool stocks. Uh, we're doing one of those uh, today, and so flew out to Baltimore. Now I'm here with you. And it's, it's great to be here. And again, I think it's important that, that the whole point of this podcast is to get your brain, your, your knowledge out there to a, as wide an audience as possible. But if people did want a new, deeper, nuanced look into the way you think, uh, they should definitely hop on over to InvestorPlace.com. Um, with all of that out of the way, let's get started and see what's going on in the investment world. Sure thing. Let's do it. Uh, first thing I definitely want to pick your brain about, because we talked about this, I think, around the time we first met, um, yep. Peloton. 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 Yeah. I remember we, we were talking about Peloton when we first met, and you said to me, go all in. Like, Peloton is the future of, of fitness. That's it, the first time we met? Around I, think the, the, I think the first time we met, I hated it. Okay. And then I fell in love with it. Okay, so I would, already I've, 180. I've been... I've been uh, I was dead wrong on Peloton. <laughs> let's, just, let's, just, let's just be frank. Sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And on Peloton, I was, I was dead wrong. Mm -hmm. um, when Peloton first IPO'd, I viewed it as this completely niche fad that only exceptionally wealthy people would buy this super expensive bike, mm -hmm. have the space in their home to ride the bike. I didn't think it was going to be a big thing. That was before the pandemic. Okay. Then the pandemic struck, and as the months wore on, mm -hmm. and as gym closures seemed to be becoming more of a standard thing, uh, and Peloton's numbers started to soar, I started to sing a different tune on Peloton mm -hmm. because the data started to tell me a different story about what was going on. People actually really like this. It's not just super wealthy people buying bikes. Mm -hmm. It's not just um, you know folks that are super fitness oriented. Like It's really just everyday folks were buying mm -hmm. Peloton bikes. Um, and so I started to see a future for Peloton, and that's when I started to sing a different tune about Peloton. You know, maybe there is a future for them to be a at-home fitness giant. Mm -hmm. um, I really liked the way they were executing. I liked their products. I liked the ecosystem they had built. Talk mm -hmm. to anybody who owns a Peloton. They're obsessed with them. Uh, Absolutely obsessed with them. To your defense, like, like I have a ton of friends who have Pelotons who swear them. by it. 
Five Absolutely stars still out swear of five by stars. it. Yeah. I'm sure their net promoter score is like super high, 80 plus probably. I mean, people who own Pelotons love Pelotons. Mm-hmm. And I have enough friends that owned them. I personally don't own a Peloton. Uh, that I became convinced that they were building a really sticky ecosystem. They were going to be able to monetize very, very deeply. Um, that's true. Mm-hmm. That is still true. Yep. Despite its massive decline, that is still true. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that if you didn't buy a Peloton in 2020 mm-hmm. and 2021, why are you going to buy one in 2022? Mm-hmm. And that's the growth problem that the company has run into is there is no incremental demand or there is very little incremental demand at as the product is currently structured so where what are their demand drivers where can they expand one internationally Mm -hmm. makes sense there's an opportunity internationally but there's also a lot of competition internationally uh two via new products they're trying to deal with the treadmill Treadmill. the tread plus Mm -hmm. but then they had the whole setback where yeah Killed kids and, and kid, dogs yeah, and yeah, cats. Yeah. So that was a, a very awful setback there that kind of stunted the big coming out party for mm-hmm. the treadmill. And then the third one is price cuts. And mm-hmm. price cuts for me is is their biggest growth driver, growth potential driver. But that is margin dilutive. Mm-hmm. So if they sell at lower prices, it means they sell at lower gross margins. It mm-hmm. means they get lower profits. So when I look at the whole ecosystem, I, I think that it's um, – I don't like what I see now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I became pretty bullish on the stock when it, it, it peaked at 160, came down to around 100, mm-hmm. that $90 level. At that point in time, I thought maybe this is a good time to buy the dip because there's a future here. Mm-hmm. But as things just deteriorated, um, my bullishness has completely gone out the window. And I think mm-hmm. the company is is not not very well run and does not have a very bright future. Now, going on the not being well run, there has been talks that there are suitors being courted to right. yeah. buy Peloton. Well, that and so this is this is uh, going to go back to the not being well run part. Mm-hmm. Is their only hope now? Yeah, for shareholders okay. is, is a buyout. In okay. my opinion, mm-hmm. um, the stock has been crushed. Uh, like I said, it went from one sixty all the way down to about twenty four dollars and change, twenty three dollars and change. So now there's potential buyout interest mm-hmm. uh amazon's in the mix apple's in the mix mm-hmm. people have thrown nike's name in there though i don't think they're serious mm-hmm. i think amazon and apple are probably the two biggest uh potential suitors mm-hmm. but you're gonna need the board to approve it because mm-hmm. john foley the ceo and basically his his posse so to speak mm-hmm. the boardroom uh the c-suite up there they own about 80% of the voting power of the company. Mm-hmm. And so in order for a buyout to happen, you're going to have to get the people who started this company, mm-hmm. really believe in this company, yeah. think it can be massive long-term to accept a buyout when the buyout would be at a level that's probably... I, I would not imagine Amazon or Apple paying more than 40 or $50 a share mm-hmm. for Peloton. Yeah, There was $160 stock, what, six, seven, eight months ago? Mm-hmm. So if you're the CEO, founder of this business, and you really believe in it, and your company was at $160 a share, mm-hmm. are you really going to accept the buyout at 40 or 50 I don't think so. Okay. I think it's, it's pretty unlikely that, that they do that. Having said that, though, John Foley has been – he stepped down as CEO. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was forced out. Okay. He's been stepped down as CEO. He's now chairman of the board only. Mm-hmm. Um, 
There's a, the CFO is now the CEO. So like there are some operational changes in there that imply that maybe they're actually thinking about accepting a buyout, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put money on it right now. So this brings me to a larger, the larger question is at home fitness, a viable investment strategy, because right, you're talking right, about right. Amazon potentially buying it. You, Apple yeah. already has the Apple fitness model mm-hmm. with their, with their line is this, we've seen that with Peloton, the pandemic yeah. bottom high and then gyms started opening again. Yeah. Is, at-home fitness a good investment strategy? Uh, yeah, so that that's where I think we went wrong, is we had two um, core ideas on Peloton. Mm. One was at-home fitness it has tremendous staying power. Mm-hmm. It does not. Okay. At-home fitness has tremendous staying power as a supplement and not a replacement to okay. gyms. Uh, we're finding that people just want to go to the gym. Yeah. People want to do things at the gym, and they want to hang out with people at the gym and mm-hmm. see other people. And there's, there's a lot of things you can do at the gym that you can't do at home. So. Mm-hmm. Going to the gym is has staying power. Okay. And at-home fitness is not going to be as large as we initially thought or a lot of people initially thought during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, is we overestimated Peloton's competitive positioning in the market. Mm-hmm. We thought Peloton was building this Maserati Tesla of at-home fitness. Mm-hmm. When the fact of the matter is their bikes, that, I mean, <laughs> it's just a bike. Yeah. It's just a bike that they created a, a cool ecosystem around mm-hmm. with great instructors and great yeah. classes. But at the end of the day, it's just a bike. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we, I'm a huge at home fitness junkie. Yeah. I, I don't go to the gym. Mm-hmm. I have a home gym. Like, yeah. I, I work out yeah. at home. Mm-hmm. I've seen and it. It's in your little yeah, side garage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, we have that. And <laughs> you can get a few more weights in there, we, in my opinion. But. Yeah, we can get a few more weights. Yeah. Um, we have never bought a Peloton. Yeah. Despite having that. Mm-hmm. And this past Christmas, we went ahead and bought a tonal, okay. which is the LeBron James endorsed. Yep. Put it on the wall. Yep, the, it's the, like a pulling mm, machine with the cables with and a the, smart yeah. trainer in it. Yep. It's a really cool machine. Yeah. Now it's far more expensive than a Peloton. I think it's about four thousand dollars versus a Peloton round two. Mm-hmm. But it does more than double a Peloton. Yeah. Right on that machine, you can do bench press, you mm-hmm. can do curls, you can do pull downs, you can do tricep presses, yep. presses you can do uh, shoulder presses, you can do any squats, mm-hmm. you can do any number of things on there. And because of that, its value is significantly higher than double that of mm-hmm. Peloton's. And so I think that we overestimated Peloton's competitive position in the market between Tonal, between Mir, between all these other things. I just think that Peloton's having a tough time. Um, getting enough subscribers to really warrant the valuation that it had at 100 or 150. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's the problem is that the, the at-home fitness pie is not that large mm-hmm. and Peloton slice of that pie is uh, limited by okay. their product category. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I think it's also good to illustrate that, you know, you, you went by the data. Uh, yeah, no. And, I mean, we, and again, things, things change. When, when you're picking stocks, when you're doing things like that, um, you're never going to be 100 percent right. Yeah. You just, you, nobody, nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody as we makes like to every. Put it here. So in basketball, yeah. nobody makes every free throw. Um, yep. In uh, golf, nobody makes every putt. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just nobody is perfect um, through and through. Mm-hmm. So there is room for error. You got to allow room for error. Yep. Um, and Peloton happened to be on on the wrong side of of one of our calls, and that's okay. Yep. Because there's many more shots to take, but. Um, one of the most important things you can do in investing mm. is acknowledge when you're wrong yeah. so that you don't throw good money after bad. Gotcha. Um, you know, cut your losses, move on, mm-hmm. or you know, sell it a minor profit and move on, whatever it may be. Just don't be so prideful and stubborn that you stick to a bad call because that'll <laughs> lose you money. And that's what you not want to that's what you don't want to do. So uh, when you make a wrong call, acknowledge it, 
move on, find better opportunities. That's the best thing you can do. Okay, well, on that note, let's move on to the next topic. Yep. Uh, tech earnings. It's still earnings season. Uh, Meta, Snap, Pinterest, Google, they all kind of released their earnings. Yep. Um, but Meta, they, they took a hit. Yeah, a big one. Yeah. A very big one. So, $220 billion wipeout in a single day. Biggest stock market crash ever. So what happened? And... Uh, yeah, so Facebook is Facebook Meta. I'm going to call them Facebook, Facebook because I don't yeah. want to call them Meta yet. Uh, <laughs> sounds weird. Um, Facebook is struggling. Okay. The big blue app, yep. the core Facebook app, mm-hmm. uh, has finally stopped growing. You know, for since 2004 when Zuckerberg started it out of a dorm room in Harvard, uh, through financial crises, mm-hmm. through a global health crisis. Yep through enormous regulatory issues, through huge social media backlash, that app has consistently grown users Mm -hmm. through all of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That finally ended last week, uh, last quarter technically. Uh, Facebook user base did not grow. Uh, So we're seeing peak Facebook. Mm -hmm. That's problematic. Um, The big driver there is TikTok. Okay. TikTok is stealing a lot of users. Mm-hmm. It's a far more engaging app, far more relevant to the modern consumer. Mm-hmm. So that's a big problem. And then their monetization strategy is not built for the current consumption of consumers. Mm-hmm. That consumers want these quick hit videos like mm-hmm. TikTok. Like TikTok. They want the Snapchat. They want the TikTok. Yep. They want the Instagram reels. Mm-hmm. And that's where all of Facebook's engagement is right now. Mm-hmm. It's not on the feeds. It's on Instagram reels. Mm-hmm. And they monetize reels at a significantly lower rate than they monetize the feed. Mm-hmm. So, because they basically built these enormous tools yep. for the feed. And There's a reason why applying, you get an ad every. Yeah, and they're, they're not applying two, to the reels yeah. right now. And so they're trying to figure out how to monetize reels. They will figure that out. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a short term problem. But the user problem, I think, is a long term problem. It's a secular headwind. Mm-hmm. Facebook, as an app, will likely continue to lose users for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Instagram could follow course as well. Okay. I am not impressed by the innovation in Instagram. I mm-hmm. think Snapchat's out innovating them. I mm-hmm. think that TikTok's out innovating them. And I think that there's definitely going to be a new startup app within mm-hmm. the next you know, few years that comes up and steals share from TikTok and Snapchat yep. and all that. So I think that Facebook and Instagram are kind of behind the eight ball in usage. That's a long-term secular headwind that's very worrisome. Mm-hmm. But the other two things, the monetization on Reels, they'll figure that out. And then the one we haven't talked about yet is the Apple's uh, privacy changes. Okay. Apple changed how consumers or how companies can use consumer data, mm-hmm. right? So now when you like download Instagram or whatever, there's the pop up that says "Ask app not to track yeah, or allow," because right? yeah, yep. they used to track you across apps, yep. and that's how they would, you know. That's why when I look at yeah, when I look at something on one app, I see it on yeah, the next so you see app. An ad yeah, on, see for the next app, yeah, and so yeah. that, that that was a big core uh, piece of app advertising, mm-hmm. iOS app advertising. Uh, it's not affected by Android. Yep. Um, but that is now gone because most people are saying "Ask app do not, not track." track. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of the target capabilities are being shortchanged. But this, mm-hmm. that's an industry-wide headwind. Okay. And so it's not like it's uh, disadvantaging one company relative to another. Mm-hmm. So we think that also is short-term. Okay. So we think the industry is going to figure that out. They're going to work with the data they have and create new tools mm-hmm. for that data. So two of Facebook's headwinds are short-term. One is long-term. But the one that's long-term is essentially the core ethos of the company. Okay. And so, so long as that remains negative... Mm-hmm the stock will likely remain under pressure. Even though it's, it is really cheap down here. Facebook mm-hmm. stock is really cheap after its crash. So is, is, is Facebook a buy right now on this dip? Or 
I, I would I would say it depends on your risk tolerance and your time horizon. Okay. Um, if you have, in short, there are better social media stocks out there to buy. Okay. But I do think that it's not a bad buy here. Mm -hmm. It's cheap enough and it's washed out enough and they are going all in on the metaverse. Mm -hmm. It's a massive bet. Zuckerberg is going all out and uh, he has a history of being right. Mm -hmm. So that's not something I would bet against. Okay. So if you're looking to buy Facebook stock, I would say maybe wait a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Let the dust kind of settle from this really bad earnings report. Mm -hmm. Probably comes down another 5, 10, maybe 15%. Then you can start kind of trickling in, buying the dip, because at that point in time, it'll be very cheap mm -hmm. with a huge potential catalyst on the horizon in terms of the metaverse. So I think there is potential there, but you got to you gotta wait a little bit. Mm -hmm. And how, how much of the issues that we're seeing with meta slash Facebook is coming from PR? From, you know, you have these conversations where they're not managing... Their, their comp the content right where people are getting you know false stories and is that playing having any impact on this or is that just you know the media no, kind I, of I think it's definitely having an impact on mm -hmm. it I don't think it's their fault okay. I think a lot of people want to blame Facebook for the demise of democracy I mm -hmm. don't think that's 100% true mm -hmm. I think they're just a boogeyman that's easy to blame okay they're the convenient devil um, but the reality is uh, all social media does this. Yeah. yeah. Snap has been able to mm -hmm. avoid all conflict. Yeah. Uh, Pinterest has been able to avoid all conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, Twitter less so, but Twitter definitely is not as blamed as mm -hmm. Facebook. Facebook is just like the 400-pound gorilla that when something goes wrong, it's your fault. Okay. And so I think that that is definitely an impact on them, but to no fault of their own besides the fact that they're enormous. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that is definitely part part of the reason why they're user base is in decline and that's very problematic for the company and that so long as that remains true the stock probably remains is best viewed at a distant gotcha uh another tech stock the google stock split alphabet yeah so actually the the rest of the the digital advertising stocks all reported earnings last week too and they were really good and mm -hmm. so that makes facebook's numbers look really bad okay yeah. like it's not just like facebook reported bad numbers because the industry sucks yep. everyone else reported bad at numbers too it's yep. like no facebook reported bad numbers but alphabet crushed yep. snap crushed mm -hmm. pinterest crushed okay uh we'll hear from twitter this week okay don't know yet but Anyways, the fact that three of your biggest competitors crushed. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, what happened in Snap stock is absolutely wild. I've never seen this before. Um, Facebook reported after hours on Wednesday. Okay. Snap stock collapsed 25% on Thursday. Okay. In response to Facebook's numbers. Okay. In sympathy of Facebook's numbers. Okay. So it's not like Snap reported bad numbers. Yep. Snap stock fell 25%, lost a quarter of its value. Just because, because of, of somebody else's, else's numbers. Got it. Okay. Which is wild. Yeah. Absolutely wild. That's how convinced the market was that Facebook's problems was everybody's problems. Yeah, it was, it was a pandemic, yeah. not <laughs> endemic to, to to Facebook. Yeah. But the reality is, is that Thursday after the bell, uh -huh. Snap reported numbers, uh -huh. and they were fabulous, and the stock jumped sixty percent. So it went from down twenty five to up sixty at an eighty five point swing in a in a single stock, and it's a big company. It's a forty billion dollar company. So it had an eighty eighty five point swing in a forty billion dollar company because. Mm -hmm. Facebook is losing its chokehold on the industry. They are no longer a bellwether for how mm -hmm. the industry is doing. So yes, uh, Alphabet reported great numbers. They're, they're announcing a split. Mm -hmm. When companies announce splits, that usually means they're very management is very bullish. Mm -hmm. The board's very bullish on the company going forward. You only split your stock. They management's like big stock prices. Yep. Okay, it's kind of a pride thing. Yeah. I like I like a big yeah. stock price. Uh, and so you only split if you think that 
post that split, your stock You're price gonna is going to get big back again, up, right? Again, yeah. Mm-hmm. So splits are usually a very bullish sign for management. So obviously, Alphabet is, and they are firing on all cylinders. Their ad business is doing very well. Their cloud business is doing very well. So that that company is doing very very well right now. Mm-hmm. Snap is crushing it. User trends are great. Monetization trends are great. Mm-hmm. Engagement trends are great. They're really looking strong on metaverse stuff in terms of augmented reality filters mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yep. So they're crushing it. Their original content's really good too. They're crushing it. And then Pinterest, they're, they're getting their turnaround going mm-hmm. because they were a company that, like Peloton, got supercharged by the pandemic and has struggled to sustain that growth. Mm-hmm. Their user base was also kind of declining for a while. But now that's starting to stabilize and they're starting to come out of it and rebound. And so... The problems at Facebook are specific to Facebook. The mm-hmm. rest of the industry is doing just fine, despite the big headwinds of the iOS privacy changes. Because okay. that's affecting all of them, because they're yep. all apps, except yep. for Google. Okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I mean, that's awesome. Um, but shifting gears from tech stocks to, again, I think one of the things that, you know, we talk, we definitely talked about EV stocks from a macro level. Yep. Um, I think that one of the things that we've been seeing a lot in, in response to these discussions are, you know, your take on specific ones. Yep. So let's let's go over the big three when it comes to EV stocks: Neo, Rivian, and Lucid. What are your t- what? Well, why? The new the new big three. The new big three. The yeah, new big three. Tesla, yeah, because Tesla, Tesla would yeah. have Tesla, something to say about that. Yeah. The, I mean, I, like again, I think that like to to your point, when we talk about Tesla, we talk about these other th- other three. You talk about that next level luxury. Yeah, yeah. Tier mm-hmm. where Tesla is kind of going to be this general be all and all catch all yeah. for e- for people who are interested in EVs moving forward. Yeah. But for the people who are interested in that you know next level luxury, mm-hmm. these are the companies that you like talking about. Yep. So why do you like talking about these three companies? Uh, so Neo is great because they're uh, the Tesla of China. Okay. Um, they have fantastic technology a battery technology which is allowing for very long ranges in their cars and they have this really unique battery swapping model. So the mm-hmm. battery swapping model never caught on in the United States mm-hmm. uh, because there was this notion from the industry, the auto industry in general, and Tesla specifically, mm-hmm. that U.S. consumers wouldn't want to swap their batteries. Which like, is kind of counterintuitive because I, so I, I imagine it's I, not a very hard process. I like the battery swapping model because the battery is the majority of the cost of, of an yeah. electric vehicle. And so if you make that on a loan mm-hmm. basis as opposed to an owned basis, okay. then you can decrease the cost of the vehicle significantly so mm-hmm. that you decrease the purchase price for the consumer. Um, and then, yeah, the time it takes to change is five minutes. Yeah. So you basically stop like you're as opposed to refueling your car or recharging your car. You just mm-hmm. swap the battery. Yep. So they've really, they've kind of been the pioneers, Neo, of this mm-hmm. battery swapping model, and it's taking off in China. It's hugely popular in China. Um, and I think there's potential for it to be successful um, in other parts of the world, like Europe. Uh, so I really like what they're doing. They have a new car coming out, the ET7. Uh, I think that's going to be a really a big hit in China. They're expanding into Europe. I think there's big promise there. Mm-hmm. And they've been on a hiring uh, splurge in the United States. Okay. So I think there is a U.S. expansion coming probably in 23. And mm-hmm. then 22 is going to be the year they go to Europe. Okay. 23, the year they come to North America. So I think that company has a lot of promise as they globally uh, expand globally over the next few years. So that's the kind of rundown on Neo. I think they're they're a pretty solid company, and the stock has been has been hit recently, and it's it looks pretty attractive mm-hmm. at current levels. Um, Lucid, we've talked about Lucid a lot. I just think they have the best technology in the game, mm-hmm. like by far and away. Uh, it is Tesla's top engineers that churn, top people from other auto companies, mm-hmm. and they're all coming together, and they've created this battery that is 
uh, second to none. Mm -hmm. As we talked about in previous uh, discussions, not only is this battery going to have huge applications in the auto industry, but it could also have huge applications in the energy storage. <clears throat> excuse me, in the energy storage, storage industry. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that Lucid has enormous potential as an energy company. Like okay. Tesla is an energy yep. company today, right? Mm -hmm. They're not yeah. just an auto company, they're an energy yeah. company. So I think Lucid has that type of potential long-term. So I really like that company. I really like the people at that company too. Fantastic team. Um, and then Rivian, Rivian's got the Amazon link. Mm -hmm. You know, Rivian has a huge Amazon partnership, the huge Amazon order, the huge Amazon invest investment. And that company will looks positioned to be the king of electric trucks. Mm, I mean, the, like I saw, I saw a video of of one of Rivian's trucks, and it was just the breakdown of like all the different things. Yeah, it's very that cool it could truck. do. It's yeah. like the speaker in the mm -hmm. the the mount in the side, and the yep. way that the the bed works. It's incredible. Yeah, the amount of things that this truck does. Yeah, that they're taking into consideration for for your consumer. Yeah, I, I think Rivian has. That's a very good truck. It's going to be very competitive in the market, probably the uh, gold standard for a while. The mm -hmm. trouble there is the price point, mm -hmm. right? They're starting above $70,000, mm -hmm. which is very pricey for a truck. Um, and so I think that that will be a challenge, but it's a challenge that Tesla had in its early days and was able to overcome. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, through economies of scale, and I think that Rivian will similarly be able to overcome it through economies of scale. Um, of the three we just talked about, I like Neo and Lucid more mm -hmm. than Rivian. Um, and that's mostly because Rivian is built up on, the valuation and the hype is largely built up on Amazon. Okay. And I think that is worthy, but I like diversification. Mm -hmm. You know, Neo's got the fact that it's killing in China. Mm -hmm. It's expanding into Europe. It's expanding into North America. Lucid's like, got the energy there's storage. There's a lot of drivers there. Lucid's yeah. got... The fact that its car is just second to none. Yep. It's got more models coming out. Mm. It's got the energy storage aspect of it, right? So there are a lot of drivers, multifaceted drivers, I would say, at Lucid and Neo. Whereas Rivian feels very singularly focused on just Amazon. being okay. And while I think that is a great focus and it will work for the company long term, relatively speaking, of those three EV stocks, mm -hmm. I would have to say Neo and Lucid are. Uh, my preferred picks over Rivian. Having said that, I still love Rivian. All yeah. three are great, two are better. Gotcha. <laughs> well, shifting gears again, uh, again, one of the things that, we, that people just seem to want to continue to pick your brain with, and again, it's not something that you were really excited about, I think, in the beginning, but you've definitely become yeah. a leading, you know, in my circle, expert of cryptocurrency. Um, can we talk a little bit about the regulation chatter that's going on in the U.S., not just the U.S., but in Russia and in India, and what impact... With respect to cryptos? With respect to cryptos. Yeah, so our, our thinking here is that the best outcome for cryptos is regulation. Okay. That having no regulation is not good for mainstream adoption, because mm -hmm. there is a huge subset of the world population, yep. um, and of the world's businesses, that will not dabble in a completely unregulated market. Mm-hmm doesn't feel safe, they don't feel safe, and so they're not going to do it. I think right? it's important to also to reiterate that regulation is also a benefit to the users of crypto well, that, as it, much as it is to regulate the, the entirety of crypto as a whole. Uh, I agree with that thesis, but yeah. I think the more important th thing here is that the world agrees with that thesis. Okay. Right? That there is a certain, again, there's a certain set of the population, a large set of the population, yep. that will not go into an unregulated market. Mm -hmm. So we can't have... No regulation. 
that's not good for cryptos long term. Mm -hmm. Then you can't have too much regulation or bans because mm -hmm. obviously then that defeats the purpose of cryptos in, in and of themselves. So the best outcome on the regulation front for cryptos is loose regulation, mm -hmm. uh, where companies or uh, countries and governments are starting to acknowledge cryptos, mm -hmm. uh, say they have staying power, mm -hmm. and they're willing to regulate them to the extent that they provide safety for the participants in the ecosystem, mm -hmm. but they don't shortchange the effectiveness of decentralization. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's what we're starting to see. Governments don't know how to do that yet. Yeah. But the fact that we are not banning them, mm -hmm. the fact that like, so India, for example, yep. uh, just instituted a 30% tax okay. on all crypto-related income, basically. Okay. Which is the highest income tax rate in India. Okay. So initially that sounds like, holy, like they're, they're going after yeah, crypto. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, think about it. India is a country that has historically been very anti-crypto. Mm -hmm. They could just as well have banned crypto. Mm -hmm. They could have taken the Russian route and just banned crypto, or the Chinese, like, but they're not. Mm -hmm. They're taking a much more open, like as opposed to banning it, we're just gonna tax it at the highest rate. Okay. So like that's a step in the right direction. Okay. And I think there are a lot of, in the, the White House, in the US, they are also looking at regulation. Mm -hmm. I think they're looking at it from the lens of like, this is here to stay, yeah. let's figure out how to make it a safe way to play for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think that is the, the shift that we're seeing in, um, in global policy, global regulation towards cryptos. One from, let's get rid of this stuff, it's a threat to us, mm -hmm. to, okay, it's here, how do we make it work? Mm -hmm. And no one knows the answer exactly, but the fact that we're in that mindset is a positive for cryptos. And you're seeing Bitcoin respond positively. I mean, it just broke above 45,000. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it pulled back to 43 this morning. But mm -hmm. um, you're seeing positive price action in that market. And I don't think the regulation is the biggest driver of it, but it certainly is helping. Mm -hmm. So what, uh, what are other drivers then that, that are gonna determine cryptos moving forward? Well, I mean, we've always said that long-term adoption, mm -hmm. <laughs> adoption trends will determine the long-term price trajectory of cryptocurrencies, and adoption trends are, are very robust everywhere. People are using mm -hmm. decentralized apps, people are selling NFTs, buying NFTs, trading NFTs. Uh, people are just really interested, holding cryptos just in general, they're mm -hmm. really interested in the space. So I think adoption trends are still very favorable, and. Now again, is that a, is it because it's a trend that people are kind of getting into into these new decentralized apps like cryptocurrency and NFTs, or is it, or what is that the end game for people who are just kind of these cursory interested? Here the buzzword, yeah. you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, like oh wow, people are making money off this. I can make money off this. Is that what's driving this, or is there a broader angle that people are looking at when? investing in these kinds of apps? I would say there's, the majority of the market is the former. Okay. The majority of the market are people that are just, it's FOMO. People okay. are just yeah. like, they're yeah. hearing people are selling all these NFTs for millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're seeing people make money off cryptos and Dogecoin and Shiba Inu or whatever. Yep. So like, it's FOMO. Yeah. FOMO is driving a lot of the participation in the crypto markets and that is a scary situation because it leads to bubble-like behavior mm -hmm. and it leads to popping. Now, the Flip side of that, and why you may not get a massive crash, uh -huh. is that there's also a lot of institutional money. Uh -huh. So KPMG just added uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum to its balance sheet for the first time, uh -huh. to its treasury, to its corporate treasury. Um, you're starting to see real big, smart money also get into the space. Okay. So while I think the majority of retail investor interest is FOMO-driven, yeah. there is a lot of smart money that's not FOMO-driven. Uh -huh. That's like, we're getting in this as a long-term investment, and when those guys get in, it provides a base okay. for price. And so I think that you could get washouts, but not anything like you saw in 20, 
uh, 17, 18, mm-hmm. when you had this run up to 20,000 and then a retreat to like 3,000, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen again. Could you get this right now? We're at 43, 44. Could you see it go up to 60 and come back down to 40? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's the more normal volatility. Mm-hmm. You'll get a rise to 80, a pullback to 50, a rise to 100, a pullback to 70, mm-hmm. a rise to 120, a pullback to 90. Right? Two it's, steps forward, one kind of, step exactly. back. Exactly. Yeah. That's the path forward now. Okay. I think institutions have come in and provided a solid base, mm-hmm. price support for uh, Bitcoin and cryptos in general. Mm-hmm. And are these. Important to note, though, uh-huh. that price supports in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm-hmm. That price support does not extend to the, to alt, the alt all coins. the altcoins because okay. there is no, or there is very little institutional support there. Gotcha. Um, As of right now, okay. could change. <laughs> uh, all right, the next thing that again you wanted to talk about, and I have no context for this because we we were t- talking about the things that you want to talk about before we started rolling. Okay. You just told me you wanted to talk about inflation. I have. Nothing more that I want to. I have questions on, but yeah. I feel like you're going to drive the conversation. And I'm going to have a lot of questions. So, okay, what about inflation? Did um, you, are, are, are you? Well, yeah, we got the we got the CPI print coming on um, Thursday. Okay, uh, so that's big news. And the CPI print is... consumer price index uh, tracks the price of a basket of goods that consumers pay for on gotcha. a monthly basis, um, and how those prices fluctuate month mm-hmm. to month, year over year. Uh, so that print comes on Thursday, the print for January. People are expecting a pretty hot number. Uh, inflation is obviously kind of the boogeyman of the markets right now. Mm-hmm. It's the scariest thing. And it could derail what has been a, a nice rebound in stocks. Okay. Stocks have stocks started off the year freaking out because yeah. of the Fed and inflation and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Then they stabilized and rebounded a bit over the past couple weeks because of earnings. Yep. Earnings have been really earnings good. Earnings have been good, yeah. Except for Facebook. Except for Facebook. Uh, Microsoft, Apple, uh, uh, Alphabet, mm. um, Snap, Pinterest, you know, a lot of these companies reported fantastic earnings. So um, earnings have been really good, provided a, a bit of a rally here, a relief rally in stocks. The CPI print on Thursday is a risk to the rally because you could get a really hot inflation print. You could get Fed members coming out and saying, we need to hike 50 basis points in March. We need to go super fast, super aggressive. So it could be a, it is a risk to the downside. Do we think it's going to materialize in an actual sell-off? No, because mm-hmm. we think markets are pretty much priced for a red-hot print. And it doesn't okay. matter what inflation was in January. Yeah, It matters what inflation is going to be in March, yep. in April, in May. Because mm-hmm. the Fed's already dead set on hiking in March. Yeah. That's like... 99.9999999% chance mm-hmm. that we're going to hike in March. So it shouldn't be a surprise. No one cares about inflation. It's, it's, it's not going to change the course of Fed policy. Mm-hmm. Fed policy is hiking in March. Mm-hmm. Fed policy in May is not going to be determined by the January CPI. Okay. It's going to be determined by the April CPI, yep. by the May CPI, mm-hmm. by the June CPI, right? And so what matters more is not exactly what happens in the January inflation print, but rather what happens in the prints after the Fed actually hikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we think the market may brush this one off, but CPI prints are going to become increasingly important as the Fed actually gets into its rate, Between into now its rate and, hike cycle. Now and May. Uh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Those March, April, May prints are going to be very critical for mm-hmm. the market. Very critical. And so what, so what does that, what happens if those numbers are, again, keep going up? If inflation does not cool off yeah. and the Fed responds, the Fed will respond yeah. by hiking aggressively, the yeah. market's going to crash. Okay. The stock market, every, everything is going to crash. Mm-hmm. It's going to be pretty ugly. And then, what, so what would your, what is your recommendation to somebody who has money in the market right now, especially in, maybe in those tech stocks that we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. they have the money in, you know, these companies that have had successful earnings, interest keeps going up, and then everything crashes. 
what what does the outlook look like at that point? Um, well, I think that what you have to understand is that you're supposed to be investing for a, a long-term horizon. Which, again, is something that we talk about all the time here. Um, so uh, A little crash here in 2022 could be really healthy for your portfolio. Okay. I, I, crashes happen. Yeah. And the worst thing you I can think, do think, is sell mm, into crashes. Gotcha. That's the worst thing you can absolutely do. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do is buy into crashes. If you don't have any liquidity, then you just sit through the crash. Yep. So long as you own high-quality companies, that are going to grow their earnings over the long term. Mm-hmm. You're going to make money. Don't worry about timing it. Gotcha. Um, you know, they always say it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. Okay. So if there's a, a 10%, 15% drop on the horizon, take it on the chin. Okay. Because what's going to happen is that the Fed will sing a different tune. Well, first off, our base case is for inflation to cool, cool off. Okay. Like, we think there is yeah. a very strong likelihood. worst case scenario. Over 90% likelihood that inflation cools down meaningfully mm-hmm. and rapidly in 2022. Okay. And that in response to that cooling inflation, the Fed is going to pivot from being, we're going to hike a lot to mm-hmm. we'll hike very slowly and gradually. And that markets are going to be just fine and stocks are going to head higher. Now, in the worst case scenario that you said, that inflation doesn't cool off and the Fed does start to hike rates really aggressively, stocks will drop mm-hmm. dramatically, probably down to 20%, uh, maybe a bear market. Now, if we get to that point, the Fed's going to also sing a different tune because mm-hmm. the Fed, uh, Powell doesn't like to be the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, so if stocks are crashing and the economy's not looking good, then he is going to pull back on that, maybe let inflation stay hot and try to regain the confidence of, of the markets. Mm-hmm. So I think that either way you slice it, things are going to be okay. Okay. But you have to brace for the fact that there is a uh, somewhat a, you know, I would say a 10% likelihood mm-hmm. that you do get a, a deeper, a much deeper correction in stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you don't, don't sell into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nobody can time the market perfectly. You yep. just weather through the, the crisis. I think this kind of illustrates the organic nature, I think, of investing, that these things are fluctuating, they, they, but it, they're natural. These are things that are in response to what's going on in the world, what's going on in the market, and they're indicators of a broader picture, and that broader picture sometimes is just, it's not a good outlook, but mm-hmm. it's a natural outlook. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, well, I think that everybody has loss aversion, everybody has risk aversion, no one wants to lose money, Um, but you can't think about it, and I'm losing money on a day-to-day, or week-to-week, even month-to-month basis. Yeah. I mean, before Amazon soared thousands of percent, it dropped 90% in Mm -hmm. 2000, 2001. Yep. Uh, There there was actually a point in time um, in 2001, 2002, where Amazon stock had dropped 85, 90%. Netflix stock had dropped 85, 90%. Microsoft stock had dropped 85, 90%. Mm-hmm. Apple stock had dropped 85, 90%. And everybody was selling the crap out of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, I, I don't want to hold these tech stocks. <laughs> they're, they're the worst investments ever. I'm going to go broke. Yep. And guess what? The people who actually held on became freaking wealthy. Mm-hmm. Fabulously wealthy. Life-changing wealthy. Mm-hmm. So that's at the end of the day. Just own good companies that grow earnings and don't worry about price action. Mm-hmm. Um, don't worry Set about it. Set it and forget it. it. Exactly. Set and don't, don't worry about it. Um, if you're into the active trading game, you know, that, that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. But most people don't have time to be really good at that. that yeah. That and so seems... if you don't have time to really dedicate, uh, you know, hours and hours and hours every day to that, then just find high-quality companies, buy them, and let the, econ- let the economy you have those. Do. You do that. That's what you do. You have those hours and hours and hours. And you, st- you still, again, you're... Because you're, you I, I don't think it's the best way to make money yeah. long term. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to create wealth 
life-changing generational wealth over the course of 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Not and today. if that's my goal, yep. then am I really going to be a successful trader for 30 years, like day trading for 30 years <laughs> and be able to beat the market on every trade? That's, that's a ridiculous thing. But what I can do is identify mm -hmm. companies that have enormous long-term potential, yep. that have the the traject the earning trajectory to really make those stocks roar, mm -hmm. buy those companies, and then just sit back and wait. Sit back and be patient because those are, you know, it's buying Amazon in, in 97. It's mm -hmm. buying Microsoft in, in 87. It's buying Netflix in 04. Um, that's what we're trying to do. Buy high quality companies, sit back, wait, be patient, watch the money come in. Well, for the first time, we actually have some fan comments who want to know about your specific insights on some, uh, actually a bunch of cryptos and uh, a bunch of coins, and then uh, one, I think we, had, we got one actual uh, stock, but the first one, uh, User Fortnite, how they got that name, I have no idea, but User Fortnite wants to know your take on Cardano. Yeah, Cardano's a, a great crypto. Mm -hmm. A uh, lot of developer activity on there. You're seeing great development stats on there. Mm -hmm. We really like it. Uh, strong layer one project. We think Cardano is it's a fantastic token. Mm -hmm. uh, founded on peer-reviewed research, developed through evidence-based methods. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's technically very sound. Uh, price mm -hmm. action on it is strong. Uh, so the thing we look at at layer one is developer activity. Yep. We want to see strong developer activity because yep. at the end of the day, those are the folks that really know what they're doing. Is it good? Yeah. Right? It's the people who are actually developing on the layer ones. Mm -hmm. uh, we know some folks that are layer one developers, mm -hmm. and Cardano is, is very highly uh, recommended in that community. So, it's a, and developer activity stats do show that it is growing very quickly. So, Cardano is, is a very strong token. Okay. Uh, Herbie Parker wants to know your thoughts on Algorand. Uh, yeah, another solid project. I would have to say definitely uh, less bullish on that than uh, Cardano. Cardano is like, it feels like a fang of mm -hmm. cryptos. Uh, okay. So very, very bullish on that. Algorand, um, bullish, but mm -hmm. less bullish than, than Cardano, I'd have to say. Okay. But still a very solid project. Very okay. solid project. Not one of the far out altcoins on the risk curve yeah. uh, that could get washed out. There is institutional support there. I think it, is, it does provide a strong price basis there. So I think it's a, it's a very good crypto. And finally, Rob Norman wants to know what happened to Match Group. Uh, nothing happened to Match Group. Match is, is doing just fine. I think the company's fantastic. Okay. Uh, they had earnings that were pretty good, pretty solid. Uh, the stock's been bouncing around. It's kind of range-bound in that 105 to 125 range. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a fantastic investment here. Okay. Match Group is, is a really, really strong company. They have monopolized the dating industry. Bumble just acquired somebody in Europe, but it's mm -hmm. a really small player. That's a small competitive risk. I don't think it's very large. But uh, I think Match is doing everything it can to really maintain its chokehold on the online dating industry. Uh, mm. They're the only ones in the space that are really aggressively thinking about metaverse dating. Mm -hmm. uh, I think their usage trends are good. Their monetization trends are good. Uh, the stock's undervalued. Mm -hmm. Great buy here. I think, I think probably what, what Rob was referring to was the drop of 15% in January, but that's just what everybody kind of took a hit in January, right? Uh, yeah, Match was actually pretty well insulated relative to other stocks okay. of ilk, relative to other digital advertising names, relative to other online media names. Um, yeah, Match actually performed, or generated alpha in the sell-off. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, we really like Match. Okay. We think Match is, is a fantastic pull uh, in the 105 to 120 range. Gotcha. Well, Luke, again, Always a great conversation. I'm so glad we finally got to do this face-to-face. -face. Yes, sir. The, the Zoom meetings are great, but, you know, being here in studio, 
is awesome. And I don't want to keep you from, again, filming the promo. I, I like Zoom meetings because I like Zoom stocks. So okay, let's go back go. to Zoom. <laughs> well, I don't want to keep you from your promo that you got to film here. Again, if you're interested in that promo, head on over to InvestYourPlace.com. Please make sure to like and subscribe, and we will see you guys all next week.